Thank you for tuning in to the Afternoon Pint Podcast. Our show will start right after these messages from our sponsors. Hey, Matt. We're thinking of selling our home and finding a bigger place. Oh, really? I thought you guys loved where you lived. Oh, we do. Our family is just growing. With pets. A dog. A cat. Two guinea pigs. A hamster. And you're planning on getting more? Eh, maybe a goat or a crocodile. Well, I have the person for you. Kimina Jad is an experienced real estate agent who prides herself in finding the perfect home for her clients. We're just browsing now. I'm not sure if we really need a realtor yet. Yeah, no worries. Kimia can help you with the comparative market analysis to help you determine the value of your home if you're planning on selling, or help you determine the going rate for the neighborhood you're moving into. She can also work at your pace. Awesome. All right, I'll give her a shot. What's her phone number? On Facebook, Kimia Nijat, Exit Realty Metro. Her phone number is 902-880-8429, and her email is kimia at exitmetro.ca. 902-880-8429. Eight four two nine. Awesome. Thanks. This podcast was brought to you by Dan Lomas at L-O-M-A-S of LomasFinancial.ca. Are you a small business owner who wants to keep more of your hard-earned profits and pay less taxes to the CRA? Do you want to plan for a comfortable and secure retirement? If your answer is yes, then you need to talk to Dan Lomas at Lomas Financial. Dan Lomas is a financial advisor who has been helping successful entrepreneurs and business owners for over two and a half decades. He utilizes customized solutions that can help you keep your earnings, dramatically reducing passive income tax. Dan Lomas and his team will help you transition corporate wealth into personal wealth by utilizing customized executive pension plans. Dan will show you how to convert business wealth into personal wealth in a professional manner. Don't let the CRA take more money than they deserve. Don't let your retirement dreams fade away. Contact Dan Lomas today and let him guide you on your path to financial success. Visit Dan Lomas at lomasfinancial.ca or call him direct at 902-209-0855. That's 902-209-0855. This is Matt Conrad. And this is Mike Tobin. Welcome to the Afternoon Pint. This week, we speak with the fascinating second-generation hypnotist, impossibilist, inventor, and world-class stage effects designer, Ty Ravine. Ty is back for a Canada-wide tour to continue his destined family legacy. It was a pleasure meeting Ty, and we strongly encourage you to check him out on his new 2023 tour that he dedicates to his mother, Coral Ravine. Enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. Got our pints, and here we go. Yes. So we're here with Ty Ravine. Which I'm uh, really happy to have you here. Very, this is, very excited. Like, this is really cool. It was one of those ones where you're like, I, I saw an ad for your show coming to Halifax, and I put that out in the world. I'm like, man, I think that guy'd be a cool guest. And I wrote you, and lo and behold, you got back to it well, pretty quickly. I'm honored to be part of the afternoon pipe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So thank you. Uh, I'm Mike Tobin. Matt Conrad. Yeah. So, uh, so what brings you to town? Well, you guys, uh, <laughs> nice to be on your show. I was willing to travel. No, I'm uh, I'm here to pick up my stage manager. We have a tour coming up, but we're playing uh, Halifax and uh, doing some shows in the East Coast, and then we fly to Vegas. My daughter's getting married, and then we pick oh, wow. her up, and we go out west, and we're playing all over the West Coast and uh, and the tour at the great uh, – 
casino in uh, in Vancouver, the River Rock Casino, and uh, go and have some time off after that. Amazing. Yeah. So a Canada-wide tour. Yeah. yeah, coast to coast. I'm going to Newfoundland. The show's already sold out there. A thousand tickets went really fast. I could have done a second show, but uh, my mother passed away, and I just didn't have time to uh, put it. I went down to see her in Vegas August 1st, and uh, three weeks after I arrived, she passed away, which was an unexpected shock and uh, real heartbreaking experience. I've lost mo- both of my parents, and uh, but she was the backbone of the show, so I'm dedicating this tour to her coast to coast. She was a great woman, a great mother, a perfect road mother. She uh, liked to... Uh, be in show business from a young girl. She used to be in the uh, Tivoli Theater, and that's where my father and mother met. And uh, she was the assistant. Where, where was the Tivoli a, Theater? Sorry. That was in Melbourne. Okay. Yeah, Melbourne, Australia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And my father, uh, he had all these magic shows on the tent circuit and stuff like that, and he was developing his hypnotic show. And uh, she liked to. Uh, be involved in show business and he thought she was the right size to fit in a bunch of boxes and <laughs> trapdoors, secret tunnels and hidden passages and uh Amazing. she uh she f- just fulfilled uh you know they they fell in love and they were the perfect match for each other it's amazing yeah beautiful story yeah, yeah. so our, our condolences to uh to your thank you, you, know, you sure. yeah, it's a great and, loss to yeah. all of us yeah i can imagine and and honestly i guess that even goes even further for like thank you for each note to us because we know it was shortly after that and you reached out to us so quickly so that's very generous of you so oh, yeah thank thanks. you well i i'm happy to share her story because she was uh she like i said she was the backbone of my father's success mm-hmm. yeah. and the, so did his, he did he get into the hypnotism thing himself and she uh work with him on it or how how did he yeah discover well he, he really got into uh he was an entertainer since he was a young boy. Yeah, doing uh, magic shows for his kids at school, huh. and uh, his story started off. Uh, it was kind of a tragic story where his mother abandoned him at an age of five, and he blamed himself for it is because his father decided with his mates at the pub that they're going to go and kick the Nazis' ass and let's go and. You know, give him some Australian whoop-ass. And uh, (laughs) his mother wasn't, he didn't talk to his wife before he made that decision, and it caused tremendous conflict. And she said, I didn't sign up for this. By that time, my father was almost five years old, not quite. And and then she said, uh, you know, let your grandma take care of, you know, your... No way. His mother take care of the son or... It, Peter and uh, and she was off and wow. he blamed himself for it and he suffered okay. tremendously as a result of that that rejection and uh, he thought maybe I wasn't a good son and he uh, started uh, uh, having a passion for entertainment and he went to see a magic show when he was a very small boy and He went into a magic shop in Melbourne, and this gentleman said, you know, I'm going to show you a few tricks, and if you're interested, I'm going to 
sell you one and you go home and practice it and come back and show me you can do it really good and I'll sell you another one. So he showed him the trick and my father was blown away. So he went home and he practiced it hundreds of times before he showed anybody and he came back and he really impressed the guy at Bernard's Magic Shop in Melbourne and uh, he sold him more tricks and he started becoming very good at it and uh, then he would do it at his schools and impressed the students, which gave him a lot of attention. And then the children's parents would say, oh, you're such a clever young man. Why don't you come to our party, Billy's birthday party, and do a few things? And he'd say, well, I, I could use a, a, a few... Uh, uh, a few coins to go and buy some more tricks so they would pay him and he developed his uh, his little routine and became very good at what he did and his parents or the parents of the, his mates would say oh my gosh you you're tremendous your parents must be very proud of you and little yeah. did they know yeah. you know uh, when his dad came back from the war he uh, his best friend got shot in the head on the first day of battle and all of his mates pretty well got wounded or killed and he uh, started drinking and he came home and his life was never the same so he so adopted his, his the, father wasn't really cool with all the magic stuff or uh, no I, I think he you know war yeah. does terrible things to people to, to good war, people and uh, it rips the heart out of you and um, mm -hmm. you it was hard for him to express his love to my dad yeah, yeah. because he lost yeah. so much you know uh, being at the war and seeing all of his friends get killed and he became uh, emotionally separated from, you know, uh, really communicating that love. So my father subconsciously adopted his audiences as being his surrogate parents. Oh. And he really studied what he did and he found out whatever impressed, you know, people that admired him, he would do, uh, he would put a lot of time into the development of his skills to uh, to attract people like that. And he developed his ability to memorize things at a capacity that I've never known and nor do I know anybody in the history of show business that has ever seen anybody with the capacity of memory like my father did. He had photographic memory. And uh, I'm sure there's some people in Russia in an apartment building that nobody <laughs> knows about that has the abilities that he had. Yeah. But he was unquestionably the... Uh, the most brilliant mind um, had the most brilliant memory of anybody in the history of show business, and everybody in the magic industry knew that. Anybody who met him, and he—if you go online and type in Ravine deck of cards, did a high-speed memory memorization on stage at the very beginning of the show of, you know, 52 cards, and he'd call the sequence out from one to 52 at high speed and do it in reverse, and wow. ask people to. Um, to call out any hand in poker and he said well then you need uh, the ace of clubs on 51 and then you'll need the uh, 
you know, jack of uh, clubs on 41, and Crazy. he'd go right down, and he'd do it in high speed, faster than I could even think. Now, so he, he wasn't was allowed in any casinos at all. But. No, as a matter of fact, <laughs> we worked in casinos, and we worked for the mob in Vegas back in the 70s, yeah. Yeah. and he was politely asked never not, to gamble not, there. Yeah, for sure. We went to see the, uh, the Jackson 5 back when uh, it was uh, at the MGM Hotel, and Janet Jackson, it was their first day on stage, and I've got a picture. Janet Jackson? Yeah. Cool. And yeah. they brought her up from the audience, and it was her very first time on stage with the Jackson 5. And um, and after that, he went out to the casino at the MGM, and within minutes, he because uh, he, he could memorize, right? Yeah. <laughs> he was a car <laughs> counter. <laughs> Didn't take more than five minutes or five or ten minutes for the house to notice that he went from $2 to 1800 really fast. Oh, wow. And yeah. then they, by that time, they're, um, excuse me, Mr. Ravine, because we were playing at the uh, uh, Caesar's Palace and we were, uh, we were playing at the... Uh, at the uh, Tropicana, at the Follies Bajer, we had the starring Magic Act. And so they knew him. And yeah. they are like, you know, we appreciate you coming here, but your money is not welcome on our gambling <laughs> tables. And then from that moment on, he was, you know, blackballed <laughs> to gamble at all anywhere in Las Vegas. Amazing. Yeah. but uh, So, okay, so your father growing up essentially, like, you know, without a mentor, um, which I imagine is exceptionally hard to do in like the illusionist like magician world because you know the the whole thing is like don't tell your magician doesn't tell us the, his secrets right mm-hmm. um how does someone learn how to do these tricks on their own like where, where like where would you find these things uh well when you go to magic stores you they show you tricks and you mm-hmm. say wow that i would like to know how to do that and you read up on it but he had a passion for reading and studying and then he came across a article on hypnotism from a dentist who got rid of pain and he thought well what? i'm in a lot of pain this is back in the from days like his thing. own personal life you mean like he was in a lot of pain or yeah emotionally yeah yeah, yeah. you know uh really bad, deep, emotional pain as a result mm-hmm. of the rejection from his mother. Right. And uh, who wasn't a bad woman, but she was just young and over her head, taking mm-hmm. a, you know, and concerned that his father wasn't going to come back, and she was pretty close to right, because most of his friends got wiped out. Yeah. And uh, didn't want to be the burden of a single mother, and uh, yeah. and was just outraged that he made that decision without... That's, that's how the hypnotism kind of came. Well, he started reading about uh, these... Uh, he read med- nothing but medical manuscripts on the science of hypnotic uh, suggestion and how it traced back from uh, Anton Mesmer to doctors and physicians like Dr. Ellis, Ellison, Dr. Esdale, Dr. Braid, and uh, studied all these uh, you know medical manuscripts on the science of... Uh, applied suggestion Mm -hmm. and he knew it from a scientific based uh, thing not from Hollywood where they have all these movies with Orson Welles and Bela Lugosi (laughs) and uh, you know all the key role actors in its day you know Boris Karloff and they all depicted a hypnotist as some bent psychopath that you know destroyed everything in their path was there more controversy in his time with uh, with hip- hypnosis and oh, like yeah, people it was thinking it was like, like the devil totally and evil taboo and... everywhere he went and yeah. he was just outraged 
in the he only understood it from a scientific application that, right. of the tremendous things that they were able to do. Like back in the day that Anton Mesmer did it, he uh, he came across a bucket of magnets uh, from one of the uh, ships that came into port, and he's like, "What is this?" And this is a magnetized iron or you know bu- bucket of magnets, and they're like, "Well, what, what does that mean?" He said, "Well." The guy said, take these two steel poles in your hand and slowly put it towards those buckets. And all of a sudden, boom. And like, oh, my gosh. And he pulls it back and he tries it again. Boom. And he immediately thought that magnets can get rid of your pain. Huh. And mm. he was mentally convinced of that. And he saw the immediate therapeutic value in this thing. So he bought it and he seeked out more that they would come back and bring back some more of this uh, property that uh, he came across. And then he convinced, uh, but this is back in the days where anesthetic drugs were very hard to find and they didn't really have them for applying for pain. Right. Even though uh, opiates were used for rich people to get high on, you know, but um, they didn't really have it, uh, an understanding of using it to, uh, to, for local anesthetics or things like that. So, He convinced his subjects that were people that had to get their amputations or, you know, from gangrene or something back then. If you got an infection, they would cut it off. Yeah. And the chance of survival back then was about 50-50, literally a flip of the coin, uh, whether you're going to live or die from the surgery. Even if you got your hand cut off, you know, Mm -hmm. you could bleed to death. A lot of people would go in there and they would drink alcohol before the surgery, not knowing that their blood wasn't coagulating as a result of the alcohol and they would bleed to death. And, um, and some would get hit by a boxer before it started and knock them out. And then they'd go and do the surgery. But not only are you trying to heal from (laughs) being beaten up by a boxer, uh, but having the amputation. And so it was a, literally a flip of the coin so anton mesmer came on the scene absolutely completely convinced that these magnets were going to suck the nerves out of the people prior to surgery and he convinced them so much that it had the power of his presentation convincing them that it was going to happen And they didn't know what he was talking about, but they're like looking at him with teary eyes. I don't know what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I want to believe you. And he'd right. say, take these, and he'd bring them into the, the uh, operating theater. He'd say, take these steel bars and put it slowly towards this bucket, and it will take your nerves out of your body. And with teary eyes, they'd be trembling, and then boom, and their eyes would roll to the back of their head, and he'd push it into the pillow, and he'd go right in within seconds. The limb was cut off, and they'd bandage them off, and they were in, you know, they'd just go into a deep sleep. They'd wake up, you know, totally mesmerized. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Excuse the pun, Anton mesmerized, right? Yeah. And... uh, and they would say afterwards that they would swear that they didn't feel any pain during the surgeries. Wow. And their success rating, their survival rating went from like 50-50 to like 90, 95% of the people were living after uh, the surgeries. And so he drew a lot of attention from a lot of different people in the medical community. 
medical community that uh, he had unlocked some kind of great secret. And as he started selling his magnets to other doctors, what he didn't tell them and what he didn't realize that, that it was his presentation of the power of suggestion that was really making it work. Mm. So they not knowing to hype these people right. up about it so would try it and they were getting the same results. You know? you're not thinking about anything else but so, you know, amazing. he started attracting a lot of attention and a lot of doctors were very upset that they were losing their patients because everybody wanted to go to Mesmer <laughs> and have them do the surgeries. <laughs> and so they put together a board of, uh, of uh, people that analyzed what was going on. And uh, Benjamin Franklin was one of those people that were analyzing it uh, and they were they came up to the conclusion that this has nothing to do with the magnets is his presentation mm. he's convincing them of it so Just placebo basically yeah he was uh, yeah it was purely his presentation but ironically he had a foresight that magnets were involved in the healing and now all these uh, electromagnetic uh, you know MRIs and that right. are used as well as uh, all kinds of, uh, there's all kinds of medical tools that uh, get rid of diseases with uh, electromagnetic frequencies, Amazing. you know, and, but he had that foresight, but didn't understand enough about the science of it to uh, exploit it to its proper thing. But he was the, the man that foresaw that magnets would be heavily involved in healing people. It's amazing. So, so <laughs> back to the kind of the hypnosis thing, like, do you, do you believe that Everyone can be hypnotized, or do you feel that like some people just can't? Is there some sort of something in someone's head that well, it does. It? It, it does entitle a cooperation between the subject and the hypnotist, no mm. question about it. But when people come up to me and say I can't be hypnotized, I kind of chuckle at it because every time you go into a store and you're going down an aisle and you choose product A over product B, <laughs> right. that is happening as a result of um, suggestion, suggestion yeah. absolutely. And the subject of hypnotism is a vital science. The mm. principles of hypnotism have been used both for us and against us in so many ways over the years that my family and myself and uh, hundreds or thousands of doctors, physicians, psychiatrists, psychologists uh, really feel that people should know what it is and what it is not because it is being damned out of all context uh, from uh, Hollywood Movies and th the likeness of that, and Columbo shows, and sure. you know, of that really clouds. But meanwhile, the, it's Instagram, it's everything around you. You're being hypnotized. Everything, and you they always at. say, "Oh, these people right. are hypnotized." Well, there's yeah. hypnosis means many things to many people, mm. and that's why my father kind of switched it around to talk about it as a superconscious state because. Um, it has been damned out of all contexts, which really hides the great work that it can do. Mm. And it's been given credit for doing things that it cannot do. And just the uh, word hypnosis is from the Greek word hypnos, which means to sleep. Mm. But it it isn't a sleep state when you go into surgery and stuff like that. It's a very conscious uh, state, but your mind is in a different uh different realm of uh which is highly susceptible and people in the far east understand that meditation which they're very able to uh be placed into a hypnotic uh state and uh 
and have amputations and invasive surgeries that don't affect them like they do people in the West. Hmm. That's fascinating. It is. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So my father, he dedicated his, his life to a greater understanding of the human mind based on the science of applied suggestion. And uh, the uh, repetition of suggestion is has a hypnotic effect. Mm-hmm. And it could be used both for us and against us in so many ways. It could be both used for good and bad. Mm-hmm. And the people in Madison Avenue and... Uh, you know, they understand that politicians understand that of they course. always try to angle their their ads for vote for me based on uh, emotions and stuff like that. And kind of get people think, oh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, he's saying all the things that I want to hear. He sound I think he understands me, but it's kind of like reading a fortune cookie. It's so general <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. you know, everybody think, oh, my gosh. How do they know? Yeah. I mean, like, how like, doesn't that force <laughs> cookie apply to you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they apply to everyone. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I guess let's like uh, kind of like, like all fascinating stuff in the history and the psychology behind it. But let's uh, talk a little bit about the like the act and like your performance that you do. And I mean, you obviously got into it. You said you know at a young age you helped out your father. Obviously, that's how you got involved in the. Yeah, well, this all of us life. kids, my three brothers, we were all born in the middle of a ravine tour. Right. Starting which, in by the, the way, I Australia. remember these commercials when oh. I was a kid. Oh, totally. And just being like, holy crap! They're in, that's my, awesome. they're in my mind forever. The ravine forever. commercials that were on cable TV. I'd be Come sitting on the floor on watching TV. The oh, man, yeah. they call ravine. <laughs> I remember coming over from Australia. I was uh, like 13 years old, and I was going to high school there and uh people i was the youngest kid in the high school because we had higher education standards in in uh, australia than they did in the united states my dad convinced them to put me in grade 10 when i was the youngest kid and second smallest because there was a midget but uh not that i'm a well, I grew into myself later, but uh, people would see me, and I kind of stood out because I was young, and they'd say, hey, kid, elementary school is that way, you know, and make these things. But they, no, that's Ravine, son, and they like, every as I'm walking down, the man they call Ravine, you know. It's one of the most <laughs> clever jingles that was great. has ever been written, yeah. and it was written for my dad back in the early 60s when the Beatles first showed up. So was it, it written in the 60s? Had, yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, so and it really stuck it, with us. It, and it's earworm, yeah. done tremendous uh, things to our career over the years. But it's a family show, and it's still a family show. Yeah. And I think that's something that's, like, hugely important today. Like, I'm excited to take uh, our uh, 11-year-old uh, there uh, in a couple of weeks. Oh, like, absolutely. I mean, I mean, they have no idea what they're walking into. And yeah. I love it when I just hit them with the surprise thing. And I'm like, <laughs> like this is going to, I think, rock or change like just, just the way you think forever. And it really does. Yeah. Because uh, when we're born, we're not told how to use our mind. It's kind of like a computer without the software. Right. And uh, once you learn that you can uh, control it and program it with the proper thinking, where you can do anything because the very nature of our mind is controlled to the most part by our conscious thinking. Mm-hmm. Now, conscious thinking is negative in its natural ways. It well, it's survival, you. right? It's your prime exactly. Survive, well, so you it's fear necessary because and... it, it allows you or makes so that you don't use your 
uh, allow your com- uh, self-confidence to override your common sense. It's right. kind of holding you back mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I do that when you could do something safer, stay in your safety zone or mm-hmm. um, where the true powerhouse of the mind that uh, has the ability to take you anywhere you want to go is in the super conscious state, the subconscious state. And uh, so you have to get past the conscious thinking. So what we do on stage is we put everybody in a deep state of relaxation through a series of consecutive positive suggestions. Mm. And then we introduce the positive suggestions. And when this state occurs, when the suggestion process is embraced, uh, your mind can be freed from the shackles of negative conditioning that has accumulated in all of our minds since the year we were born. And once your mind is being liberated from the shackles of your negative and self-conscious fears, you can talk ordinary people into doing extraordinary things and guide them into a spotlight, things that they never thought they'd have the courage to do and do tremendous performances at a level that most people just didn't believe was possible. After the show, we have people coming up to us and saying, oh my gosh, I never knew my father or my brother or my sister right. or my mother had yeah, these I've abilities seen, to right. do like it. Close friends, hypnotizers, so, so you know, totally kind of into that moment guys. and without interruption yeah. of thought, they are so deep they into change. it and it's like, they, it's, it's like we had no idea they had this personality in with in, inside them. But uh, one thing my father discovered at a very early age is genetic inheritance. Mm. He thought he discovered... Uh, reincarnation, proof of reincarnation by taking this young boy when he was in Fiji, hypnotized this tribal elder son, and he wanted to see that if he could go back and and talk to um, ancestors. Well, he mind? wanted to know if uh, he could um, tap back into uh, India because he wasn't born in he wasn't born in India. He'd never been to India. He didn't know how to speak. Uh, Hindu, and there's uh, like three different languages, mostly predominant in India. And in the stage of a super conscious session, he started talking a language that was totally unknown to him. And it wasn't the language that his father learned that he didn't. He wanted his son to grow up and have a better future, so he taught him English. But as he's talking this foreign language, the father of this uh, young man started, oh, my gosh, that's my father talking to me. He said he never he never heard this language. He's never heard it. He's speaking it fluent. That's daddy, daddy. Mm. You know, he started, wow. Papa, yeah. it's me. And my dad's kind of holding him back. And this this young boy or young man who talk, starts talking fluently, and he convinced himself that he had uh, proven reincarnation but after talking to several doctors like uh, this brilliant Indian doctor whose name was uh, Dr. Makuchi mm. he said no Peter what you've discovered is reincarnation or not reincarnation but it's uh, genetic memory that everything that happens in our past lives is recorded everything of significant value so mm. if your ancestors studied music or they studied mathematics or they studied any kind of disciplines that were out of the normal uh, those uh, traits are, are embedded in his in their DNA, DNA and passed, yeah, passed on down. to us. Yeah, little little tiny blocks back yeah. in the memory. Yeah, you can so never even 
open. Everything that happens in our life, to the most part, that is of significant value is is stored somewhere in our memory banks, and we can tap into that through uh, states of relaxation. Mm. And I've heard interviews with some very big names in the music industry, from Barry Manilow to... uh, to Billy Joel, and they were saying, oh, my mother used to make us study music, and they were both saying the same story, really. Mm-hmm. It's like, I hated piano lessons, and did a little doing the scales and stuff, and right. then one day they just woke up, and they're, they're kind of looking at their hands with amazement, like, oh my gosh. The it's, magic's unlocked. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they start doing things they never had the ability to do, and it just comes, but that what happens is they tap into genetic memory of uh, the ancestors that lived before us, and uh, and it's a, an amazing field of study. It's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've never really even, I guess, heard about that. Kind of makes me want to go. My father was one of the first person people to really bring it out because they talk about in high school and. They talk about biology where it's alternation of generation. We have these genetic inheritance that on the physical mm. attributes that, oh, you look like your father. And people say, I look like my dad. And I, Are you sure about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that look and they, oh, my gosh, you're a splitting image of it. Yeah. But it's usually in biology, it's called alternation of generation. It frequently uh, follows the grand ch- grandfather to the grandson in um Biology, they call it alternation of generation, where uh, goldfish will have the exact same patterns in every second generation and things like that. But they never talk about the mental attributes that come with it Mm. and that we are the reflection of genetic inheritance from hundreds and hundreds of people that came before us. And we take with us their traits that were passed on through the DNA and we can uh, those natural talents can come into the natural attitudes and things that uh, all of a sudden you know you got a personality mm. you don't know where it came from you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so, it, what's really interesting and this is this is down a, a path that I never thought we'd really go I guess because uh, you know obviously your dad was known for his act and, mm-hmm. and known for you know the entertainment value and everything but clearly uh, what was a passion of his was this kind of a, a pseudo science I guess for Yeah, it was all based on the scientific applications and uh, 200 years of studying medical manuscripts. And by the time he was 36 years old, he was considered the foremost authority on the uh, state of hypnotism. And we got into the United States on a deal that happened through the uh, Gerald Fassbender was our immigrations officer and my father, uh, through with cooperation of the University of Utah had made an agreement that they would uh, let us into the country on H-1 visas, which were diplomatic visas usually given to surgeons and stuff like that, and diplomats, on the condition that he would teach the doctors in the medical profession how to apply the superconscious state or the hypnotic state Hmm. uh, using You think he would have just hypnotized them? <laughs> Sorry, perhaps he did. Joke. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe he did do that. We were joking on the way up the highway. Uh, Matt was like, "Why is all the traffic in the right lane?" I'm like, "That's Ravine, man. He's just he's pushing that all this way so he can get ahead of us." Yeah, but yeah. they did tremendous things that uh, you know uh, he dedicated. He went off the road for uh, eight months and he just studied with these doctors and did tremendous work. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. 
So okay, so I guess kind of kind of going back. Um, so it's, show, this is too. what I guess what we're saying is it's more than just stage entertainment Absolutely. hypnotism. It, yeah. it definitely um, seems that. It but definitely seems the that The Ravine way. Show is based on medical manuscripts in the scientific application of, uh, you know, hundreds of years that were learned from the yeah. application of medicine. It's amazing. So uh, yeah, let's, like, I guess now going back. So we, you have a show coming up. Um, and uh, are, the, are these some of the, like, are they some of the... Like the classic stuff that your your father like it's a lot of stuff from his show. Or are you developing new things? That, and on, on top of well, that, see, how do you come up with new things? Well, when we were growing up, we would see things on TV like the Beatles, right? And say, right. Dad, you gotta have the Beatles in the show. You know, <laughs> right. yeah. We, yeah. we were watching our favorite Martian. Dad, you gotta have a Martian routine in the show. And mm. your Dad, you gotta do the monsters and you know all these TV shows that we'd watch. Yeah. We'd have him. We'd encourage him to do figure out routines, and he did. And then we've kind of developed it as a family. You know, we all played our little roles awesome. in, yeah. in, in the development yeah. of that show. And, uh, of course, I keep uh, some of the strongest stuff. But there's 11, 12 hours worth of material there that, uh, that we've developed over many, many years. And I try to keep all the timeless classics in the shows and put my own spin on it, my own personality. For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, start off the show with a high-speed memory demonstration that is uh, one of the prerequisites that my father said that I had to do in order to get his tuxedo. And at the time, I thought, Dad, this is, I mean, you got, you know, your memory is, you know. Yeah, yeah, that'd be intimidating. I can't do that. He said, yes, you can, and you will. And he encouraged me to work at it. And so, uh, you know, I, I would never attempt that high-speed memorizing the deck of cards, but uh, he did uh, encourage me to uh, to do some pretty amazing things. Yeah, do you have a, a lineage that you hope to pass this down to yourself? Or? Oh yeah, I yeah. want to keep it going. Yeah, you know, he told me at the age of five that I'd one day take over the show, and right. it took me a long time to uh, tap into that because he all already told me all my life that I was. He would told all of us kids that we were really creative. Mm. You know. We were created by a creator, and the creator created us in his own image, which was to be creators. And uh, kind of thought about it, and I thought, yeah, I I am creative, you know, and I'd make my own toys with elastic bands and pieces of junk, and I'd think, yeah, that's cool, you know, growing up. And, um, And then I started noticing when I was in my teens, the late teens and early 20s, that a lot of the rock and rollers were hiring magicians to uh, come up with ideas for their rock shows to make it more exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Michael Jackson, and uh, and Alice Cooper. You so know, you started to, working with some of these acts, right? Yeah. Well, I thought, well, wait a second. I've we've spent literally millions of dollars in the development of some of the biggest magic shows in the world. Yeah. I know all the secrets. I know all the builders. I know all the gimmicks. And all I have to do is come up with ways to, you know, put it into their show. And I. I didn't really have any ideas, but I was confident that I could pull this off, just as confident as anybody could be. So I told Dad at the end of 60, 1984, I said, I want to throw my hat into that ring. And he said, well, okay, you're going to have to be really creative about it. You know, mm. you're going to have to get their attention by pitching some ideas. And I said, okay, I can do this. I didn't have any ideas. I wasn't born with a uh, 
with uh, any kind of gifts that were well beyond anybody average person. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a, a creative dis- disposition that was any different from anybody other than believing in myself that I could do it if I really wanted to do it. And so I, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And uh, so a few months later, after retiring from his show and just sitting there and coming up with some ideas and writing a few things on paper, I met up with Billy Gibbons at uh, a friend's birthday uh, or at a friend's house, a friend's house party. And he said, hey, you want to meet Billy Gibbons? And I'm like, ZZ Top Billy Gibbons? <laughs> you know, that Eliminator tour. I mean, I was a huge fan. It was when I came over from Australia, the first show I saw in Salt Lake City was uh, the uh, Wild Texas tour, the you know, with the bull on stage and a rattlesnake in a glass cage at the front of the stage and the big Texas tour and Tush and all that, those big hits. And I'm like, uh, so I was a big ZZ Top fan from way back then. And then uh, I walked around the corner. I said, hey, Billy, I said, I'm your biggest fan and I'm the best designer in special effects magic for rock shows. So <laughs> kind of leaned his head back and he said, well, it sounds pretty interesting. Maybe we've got something to talk about. So I said, yeah, we could use all kinds of different techniques to make your magic or mu- the magic of your music come alive in a visual way that uh, and he said well okay let's talk about it so we we talked about it that night and then he said come over to my place at the uh, I'm staying at the Tropicana on the seventh floor and uh, gave me uh, I, I knocked he said meet me there at two o'clock I knocked on his door and he the door opens and he hands me one of those easy top keychains, you know, you whoa. see on the, and he's like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> that Thanks, is cool. And he put, <laughs> put his hat on me and stuff like that. And I started talking about, uh, you know, different things that we could think about. And I said, why don't we go over to see some of the shows here? I know back then I knew every pit boss and every theater manager uh, in that city. It was only a quarter of a million people and we'd done hundreds of shows there. And so... I took him to shows like Splash and Hallelujah Hollywood and the Lido show and the Follies Bajer and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we were just watching stuff and he'd point out, yeah, I like that idea. And I think, yeah, that's, that looked pretty cool on your stage. And he's like, took him to Splash and he's like, oh, I love the dancing waters. I want to do that. And he's like, you know what? That would look really cool with your music. But I'm telling you, man, you've got to consider what it's going to take to take that on the road. You're going to need two units because mm-hmm. you're going to, it's going to be the first truck is going to drop off those big tanks that hold the, you know, that stuff. And it's going to be how many the trucks do you want to take around with like, you? Yeah, around you're going to need a, yeah. two different rigs doing leapfrog from yeah. one city to another. And so I said, you know, and there's going to be water everywhere and we're going to have to have uh, fire trucks in there and it's going to yeah, just yeah. cost you a fortune. The unions are going to kill you with this one. I said, I wouldn't do it with, this. Right. you know, I wouldn't do it if I were you. And he, he realized like, you, you seem to be a very clever guy. You obviously know a lot about magic, but more so you understand the logistics of traveling a show. Right. I said, well, we've lost houses over making some bad decisions with big <laughs> magic shows, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, all those combinations of the sacrifices that we made over the years, it accumulated to make me uh, really understand. Because anybody said, yeah, we could do that. And all of a sudden they get the bill for it. And then he said, this was a stupid idea man do you realize how much <laughs> this thing's costing us yeah. so i kind of was able to balance it out what's high impact 
what is high impact special mm. effects and uh, at the same time uh, road worthy and cost effective and so at the end of our little meeting over three days he you know he said so what do you got in mind you know do you have a theme for your for your album and he said no we just write music and we do a good job of it and we like to make our shows exciting and you know I don't know particularly what I want but I know what I like when I see it and he threw the ball back in my court and he said show me what you've got so I started thinking about it and came up with this idea that his car should be or that his last album was the Eliminator so I found somebody with a car just like that exact mm-hmm. same car in a yeah. junkyard man and in the junkyard yeah, yeah. And uh, took a photograph of it and made a big dashboard of it. And uh, and I'd been working on a proposition for uh, for a band called uh, Loverboy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is like amazing music from our Canadian brothers. Yeah, yeah. And Loverboy, man. And I met up with the band after we did a show in Vancouver. And I I was telling I was selling myself to them at a party they were having. And, pull out this fireball shooter and I shoot it across the nightclub and the, <laughs> and nobody knew where it came from and they were like, like Whoa. Was like a flare gun or something? Or? Well, it was just this little pin I made oh, with yeah. flash paper that shot at a fireball <laughs> and they, man, that was cool. I said, yeah, I could put it on the end of your guitars and we could do all kinds of wild stuff. And so the security's like, Ryan, do you guys see, where, where did that come from? And we're all laughing and kind of pointing at the lights. I think it was from that light over there. And <laughs> anyway, we had a good time and uh, I said, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to uh, start designing stuff for rock shows. Why don't you give me a show? You know, and they said, okay, stay in touch with Matt's, uh, uh, the drummer's roadie. And and uh, I kept on calling him from Las Vegas. And he said, yeah, this is what they're doing. And they're putting the final things on, final uh, edges on the album. And uh, I said, well, what's it about? And he said, well... I, they're just writing a bunch of cool songs. And I said, well, give me some lyrics. And he said, well, he said, the main song is going to be touch that button, turn that dial, turn me on like a rocket ship, loving every minute of it. Yeah. And so that's all he had to say. you know. And I thought, okay, well, maybe the stage should be a big, giant dashboard of a rocket ship. You know, and then so they they ended up going uh, their own direction with some Hollywood producers. They yeah, forget about that kid. He doesn't, mm. you know, we'll do it for you. And so they kind of were gravitated to following the direction of somebody else. And mm. then so when I met up with Billy Gibbons, I thought, well, let's start off with a 40 foot wide dashboard of a 1933 car. We'll put Billy in front of the drivers at the uh, in front of the steering wheel, we'll put Dusty in front of the glove box. We'll put Frank on the radio, you know, on top of the radio. Halfway through the show, we'll turn it into a rocket ship, and then we'll take their entire audience oh, on a simulated amazing. trip into outer space. <laughs> it sounds crazy. I yeah, I so I pitched that to the band. I made a yeah. bunch of different storyboards, and I made some models and stuff like that, and... Uh, and I showed them, and uh, they were kind of blown away with it, and they liked it. But the manager was kind of putting me through the through the test on it, and he said, "I don't know. It's very colorful, and it's kind of cool, but you know, what does 
little old band from Texas have anything mm. to do with, you know, rocket ships? I said, are you kidding? Here we are in Houston, Texas, where you have the biggest space center in the world. Yeah. Right. I said, you guys have more territorial rights over outer space than any other rock band. And I said, it's <laughs> never been exploited before. I'm telling you, this is a hot idea. And the band kind of jumped up and they're kind of high-fiving each other like, yeah, I like this. <laughs> so I came up with uh, all of uh, a bunch of special effects plus the stage and then we covered the stage with a big stage white stage cloth at the beginning and i said uh we have a big head of um a longhorn bull come down there and snort that curtain mm. up its nose like <laughs> wow. at 90 yeah. miles an hour you can do that and i said yeah i can <laughs> and uh and they well you have to see it to believe it so they made a model and i went and proved that i could do it and mm. uh which that head from a Longhorn bull turned into head of King Tut, and uh, and so that was like the opening of the show. The curtain would I convince him put a put a curtain in front of the stage and slowly drew back. And you saw this big head of King Tut with sunglasses, and the lasers came out of the eyes, and you hear this big. <laughs> You know, snorting yeah. noise, <laughs> and the whole <laughs> stage cloth went right up the nose of this oh head gosh. of King Tut, and everybody, and they came out, got me under pressure. She likes cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd went nuts, and uh, and everybody on MTV, Mark Goodman, was like, oh, my gosh, don't miss the opening of ZZ Top's concert. It'll blow your mind. Don't miss it. And, uh, wow. you know, by the time the show got tight, toured coast to coast with them, uh, and by the time it got to, uh, you know, every city, they were chanting Sphinx, 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 you know, <laughs> anticipating it. And, uh, and Rolling Stone magazine called it the greatest cocaine gag in the history of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't think you could do that nowadays. But, yeah, maybe, you know, yeah, no. maybe not. You never know. And yeah. uh, so that really kind of launched my future in the entertainment industry. And then he said, I want 40 cannons coming out of the stage, mm. you know, and I. We had uh, elevators and pneumatic lifts and smoke and spinning guitars in that built-in. There was no no place to put any big cannon devices, so I mm. needed to come up with a miniature cannon that would be. And so uh, I remember having a life vest yeah. from, uh, you know... Uh, from flying so much and I uh, took it apart and I thought well maybe this little release mechanism if I put it in the bottom of a cannon could uh, could do the work of a small confetti cannon and tried it out and I was just amazed at how well it works so I show, showed the band the final presentation. They were signing off on all the final art and everything we were doing for the show. And then yeah. Billy's like, okay, what about these cannons? I said, well, I got this. And I leaned over and I pick up this little tube. And Frank and Dusty are like, are you kidding, man? Come on, that's a toy. We're playing at 20,000 seat arenas. You know? yeah. I said, well, just come out and let me... You know, humor me if nothing else. Right. Yeah. And they were rolling their eyes. And Billy said, let's go, man. You know, Ty's got some interesting ideas. So I went out there and I shot it off. And Billy like, oh, my God, <laughs> you got to patent that, dude. I'm telling you, you got to patent that. Wow. And it became one of the most successful special effects in the history of entertainment. It's still so you're, today. you're still selling those, eh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I got two U.S. patents on it. And nice. I invented the streamer cannon Amazing. out of that idea and i uh 
And so could anybody go buy a Streamer Canon if they wanted to? Yeah, go to Streamer Effects International at StreamerEffects.com. StreamerEffects.com. Yeah, I do, I do awesome. dozens of dozens of the biggest bands in the world buy their confetti and streamers from us, from Kiss to you name it. I've wow. done three Can world tours with uh, Paul McCartney, three world tours with Madonna, Shakira, Christine Aguilera, J-Lo, Five tours with Usher. I mean, amazing. Yeah, some of the Van Halen. You name I, it. I, I've uh, been to a Kiss concert. They go through a lot of streamers and confetti. And confetti. And, yeah, they're yeah. mostly uh, yeah pyrotechs and and uh, confetti. But yeah, I invented that whole industry of the streamers, and it really helped me raise a family. And yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, obviously, uh, I, I you know you're doing you're taking on your father's legacy. Uh, I'm guessing you, you, you probably he retired. What was it? He retired. His last shows were in 2008. Okay, that, I knew it was yeah, in the East like Coast. Yeah, but he really stopped doing shows back in the uh, 1990s, and he uh, he was responsible for the uh, success of a magician in Las Vegas called Lance Burton, mm. and uh, and then he kind of just got a bit lazy and uh, left. Uh, you know, was living off of pretty profitable job down there keeping an eye on that show and making it mm. one of the top 10 shows in las vegas and then he looks at me and he kind of starts tapping his watch and <laughs> you know you're going to become ravine or what so when did you officially become ravine uh, I had to go down and extensively audition for my father in 2011. <laughs> okay. And he put me through Whoa. the drills like a drill sergeant. Yeah, you know, and he, had, he wanted to make sure that I knew how to explain it and understand what it was yeah. all about. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, he made me go to uh, one of the, the biggest uh, magic club there. And uh, there was a show called Wonderground uh, from uh, Jeff McBride. Uh, used to host it, and um, he made me uh, do the high-speed memory demonstration, and I there was like 200, some of the best magicians in the world were there, mm. and I got a standing ovation, and he passed on my tuxedo, and I did some shows in Vegas in cool. 2012, and then brought it across Canada, coast to coast, and now it's... Uh, it's the biggest selling hypnotic show back like we used to be in the, uh, in the uh, you know, since the 1960s. We were always the biggest mm, hypnotic yeah. show. Nobody was doing concert theater performances of hypnosis before my father. He was the only and first one to ever do it in a concert setting yeah. where he took it to the theaters before it was in CD nightclubs or back, you know. Mm you know, uh, all kinds of little halls and stuff like that. But he took it, uh, made it a world-class entertainment. And uh, now we're outgrossing any show in its of its type and coast-to-coast in Canada. That's awesome. Yeah. I hope it goes forever, man. I uh, really do. I, honestly, yeah. Yeah, why well, go see another hypnotist when you can see the actual one that made, <laughs> you right. know, the OG, entertainment the OG. history. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you said, so you said you had a daughter. Uh, is she interested in uh, picking oh yeah up that she's tape? like my star uh, assistant she's oh, uh, cool. not on 
not, not on all of my tours, but she has, uh, she's in Las Vegas and we're going to do some shows and we're going to go down and pick her up in Las Vegas and she's going to come on the road with us and be on the stage. And, nice. And is that the yeah. one getting married you said? Yeah. You mentioned the wedding? Oh, right. cool. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I've got a son, Alex, and then there's Maria and my little son, Taj, who's 22 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just turned 22. So this is like, not only is it a family show, but it's truly a family business. Mm. Like really, generational family business. Yeah, and I've got a grandson, so I'm teeing up him up to be another generation of the ravine. <laughs> no. So no. there'll be a series of us. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So, okay, so we did talk a little bit. You said you tried to keep a lot of it um, classic, but, you know, a lot of the classic stuff. But uh, do, you, do you come up with your own tricks? And how do you come up with a trick? Like, that always fascinates me. Well, I made this when I met Billy Gibbons. I went and immediately thought, I mean, here I am driving in a convertible downtown Las Vegas. I think a lot of people thought I was Frank Beard, you know, with my little goatee there. And I'm sitting beside Billy with his beard flying in a convertible mm-hmm. uh, 1953 uh, Bel Air convertible. And everybody's looking over. Oh, my gosh, it's Billy Gibbons. He's the top, you know, honking yeah. their horns and freaking out. And I thought, yeah, I want to be part of this. <laughs> and so I went and uh, rented myself a little warehouse and I made this stage. I got a big picnic table and I put a black cloth on it and I built this little proscenium arch and I had a bunch of uh, velvet curtains made and I made a stage, you know, and I put a proscenium arch with a curtain and I just looked inside that box and I told my mind, what would it take to blow my mind? And I kept on asking my brain that question. I demanded that it answer me. Yeah. Kind of like Tesla, you know, tapped into universal understanding of knowledge and stuff like that by just demanding it out of his mind Mm -hmm. and thinking about it enough. And after about three weeks, I had ideas popping up in my head, you know, and, uh, and I had to write them down. I think, oh my gosh. And sometimes they'd come two or three times a day and I'd be writing and writing and writing. But it kind of reminds me of a story when my father was talking about his experiences with um, genetic memory. And he was, we were at the Bill and Irene Larson, the uh, people that uh, were the creators of the Magic Castle. Mm. And my father was a founding member of the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. And we would frequently visit their house as we were growing up because they were in our inner circle best friends among the very best friends that we ever had. And um, they had uh, the Sherman brothers were there that night. I'm talking about Richard and uh, his brother. uh, The Sherman brothers wrote all those great classical uh, soundtracks for Walt Disney. Okay. And uh, my dad was talking about his experience uh, with that young man from Fiji and Mm. how he discovered that it was not – that it was not uh, reincarnation, but genetic memory. And all of a sudden, Richard Sherman jumped out of his chair and he said, you've answered something for me. He said, when we were in in the studio at uh, Disneyland and Walt was showing us the storyboards and describing all these scenes, he said, Mm. all of a sudden I hear this sound in my head and I had to grab for a piece of paper and I was writing down the music that was in my head. He said, I didn't create it. I was listening to it and I was transcribing it into notes on a piece of paper. He said, but it was, it was, 
likely written by my grandfather, my grand grandfather's grandfather, because all my family members were great classical conductors of the Vienna Orchestra going back four generations. And he said, this makes perfect sense to me, Mm. you know, and uh, and so uh, that kind of same thing by me demanding it of my mind, I started coming up with ideas and ideas after ideas. It got to the point. My father said, you're one idea away from bankruptcy, son. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you've got to stop inventing things and start using the stuff that you've already invented that can make you money and take care of your family. Uh, and something to be said about that, though. That's right? awesome. Yeah, yeah. Certain truth of that, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some people can take on too much. And it can, uh, you know, it can definitely, if you take on too much, it's like, you know what? Why don't you just, like, do what you got going on right Stay here? Stay in your lane like, for a minute. Stay in your lane for a minute. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Stick with what makes money after a while. You so know? Do, do you have a favorite thing that you do? It's make people laugh, yeah. and it's healthy laughter. It's not the kind mm-hmm. of laughter that is a, 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 um, a cheap shot at anybody's expense. Yep. It's yeah. the kind of laughter that you're just amazed that somebody spontaneously at the speed of light can think at uh, under pressure and uh, and come up with those things. But that I think that a lot of those traits come as a result of the genetic inheritance of personalities that were there hundreds of years before that person came into existence. And when you put them into a relaxed state and their conscious mind is put to rest so their subconscious comes alive, it's just amazing what you can bring out of people and, uh, and, the, the raw, dynamic, unrestrained release of uh, ideas that come out of their head is just, uh, it's just priceless and, and just absolutely hilarious. Do you have any, like, particular ones that have, like, stayed with you? Like, were some moments where, like, something you found either extra funny or just, like just amazing or anything like that? Is there any highlights well, there? we write the routines and we set them up and then the per, their personalities, their individual personalities fill that void, you know, and uh, their interpretations of it. That's why you can do the shame show. I mean, we have tons of different shows that we do. And, but the, uh, the characteristics of their individual personality makes every show different. Mm. Yeah. You can watch the same routine night after night after night and it, it, people's reactions Although in many cases they may be similar, uh, their personalities really come out, and it's uh, just uh, so it never gets old. No, it never gets old for me. And I've yeah. seen thousands. I worked with my father for three thousand shows before I became wow. professionally involved with it, and that's. But that was well three thousand shows professionally involved with him. But I did thousands of shows with him growing up as kids right. and just traveling the world. You know, during summer holidays and stuff like that. But there's no two shows that are identical. Yeah. It's like the fingerprint of a human being. It's yeah, yeah. snowflake. There. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Is a snowflake. Yeah. 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 Well, honestly, I I I appreciate. I know you do. Like we were both pretty like kind of. Pretty excited about even just the drive up here. Yeah, we were, we were getting to meet you. So this was yeah, uh, we this was a really honor. We, 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 <laughs> Absolutely. We, I'm looking forward to seeing the show October 6th, Friday, yep. October 6th. It's yeah. at the Dalhousie yeah. 
Oh, gosh. Auditorium. Dalhousie Auditorium, thank you. October 6th. October 6th, yeah. I think that's a it's Saturday night. It's a family night, event, too. Friday, Friday, so you can yeah, take Friday. your young ones. It's like uh, you can bring, I mean, we've had the biggest uh, rock stars come to that show. We've had Meatloaf on our oh, stage. Yeah. We've awesome. had April Wine. We've had uh, uh, Lucy Arnez Jr. on our stage. We've had so yeah. many Big stars, you ticket, know, come ticket up prices and, are very reasonable as well, yeah. guys. I mean, I, yeah, we know, try to keep it yeah, family I priced. It was really, you know, really fair, absolutely. and I, I appreciate that being a family. So, well, it's an experience yeah. that'll last a lifetime. You'll never forget Ravine. You'll always remember the show. Yeah, and it's something that you don't have to be afraid of taking. I don't care if you're a rock and roller or you're a uh, punk rocker or a doctor uh, <laughs> or a surgeon or yeah. you'll just be amazed at the show. It'll change the way you think forever and you'll never regret it. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love to give you one final cheer. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much, hey, Ty. Thanks, guys. My pleasure to be with you. Thank you. you.